Welcome to the Sony Pictures Network's Go Beyond podcast, where we go beyond the surface and uncover the extraordinary. I'm your host, Akshay Kapoor. Ke Akua Aina is a Hawaiian song that, in the words of the singer Paul Isaac, reminds us that the spirit is in the land and that each time we put our hands deep within the soil, that reminder comes forth. Few can personify these words with action the way our guest today has been able to. In 2011, he founded A Forest, a for-profit social enterprise on a mission to reclaim the world's lost native forests. And since then, he has received the Inc. Fellowship, the Nama Bengaluru Award for his contribution to the city, and even founded one of the first open-source platforms for afforestation. In just the last decade, this engineer-turned-entrepreneur has been responsible for planting a large number of forests in India alone, with success stories in challenging terrains such as the deserts of Rajasthan and Leh. Today, his team of 13 members work on afforestation projects world over. He may not be Mr. Universe, but he can certainly be anointed Captain Planet. Please join me in welcoming Shubhendu Sharma, the director of A-Forest. Shubhendu, lovely to have you on the show and thank you for giving us your time today. Thank you so much, Akshay, for the lovely introduction. Uh, it's 160 forests that we have made in the last 10 years. So. Oh, fantastic. Uh, it, and that 160, is it world over or is, is it in India itself? Yeah, this is distributed over 16 countries uh, in 50 different cities. Most of them are in India, uh, around 100. But then we have them in Netherlands, in Pakistan, in US, Nicaragua, Chile many other places. Yeah. Fantastic. Has your relationship with nature always been a close one or did it take time for this seed to germinate? I grew up very close to Corbett National Park in Uttarakhand right. and uh, nature was something that we people has always taken for granted because the state itself is around 64% forest. It's a proper jungle where you have tigers, elephants, all sorts of wildlife, some of the rarest trees or uh, types of vegetation but it was so obvious surrounding for us that it never occurred to me something as precious as a natural forest we realized once I started uh, living in a city or started seeing places uh, beyond Uttarakhand but while growing up I always wanted to be an engineer which I eventually became. I became an industrial engineer and uh, Toyota was one of my dream companies when I was studying engineering and I was lucky that uh, after completing my engineering within a year I quite struggled to get into Toyota but finally I got the job which I wanted. So it, it was not uh, that I always wanted to be close to nature or was inspired like looking for inspiration to be close to nature. It, and then while you were at Toyota you, you met with uh, the renowned doctor Akira Miyawaki, correct? Yes. Out of a sheer coincidence or like my boss announced that a Japanese scientist has come to visit the factory and whoever wants to attend his lecture can go and attend. And uh, that day I just wanted a break. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it was just a half an hour lecture by Dr. Akira Miyawaki. And uh, because he spoke entirely in Japanese, uh, the only thing that uh, sparked the curiosity in my mind was the pictures of the work that he had shown. He had shown us some before and after pictures of how he had been converting barren patches of land into lush green forest. He had shown some examples where uh, he had shown us some failed projects by other methodologies and how by using his methodology suddenly 
a barren patch of land over a vast expense has converted into a forest which is attracting a lot of wildlife and everything that i saw as a child suddenly uh, started to feel more valuable because only at that point of time it occurred to me that all the engineering uh, manufacturing that we are doing whether you are making a car using uh, steel or you are making a tire using rubber it comes from natural resources and there has been no effort by any industry to fix these natural resources back however we are continuously extracting them to an extent that sooner or later we are going to finish them and uh, that also makes you ask this existential question whether we can continue to run the world or run the industry the way we are running today and the answer was no so it seemed very obvious to learn this technique of fixing back the natural resources because if professionals won't get into it it is not going to reach the scale which industry has reached a few hundred years ago that makes sense so so how did you go about learning this uh, this methodology yeah so uh, i joined dr akira miyawaki's team as a volunteer this was in december 2008 when i met him for the first time and later on it was announced that in june 2009 7 months from that time he's going to come back to plant a forest in the factory premises and i got involved Of course there was a lot of work involved. However, the way Dr. Miyawaki defines a forest, he says it's a natural ecosystem which is so dense with vegetation that you can't even walk into it and it's irrespective of its size. Right. And actually most of the places where people are living used to have these forests. Reason being the essentials of human life, whether it's clean air, fresh water, healthy nutritious food, they come from these forests so obviously for any civilization to establish itself and to thrive they needed these natural resources and that's the reason why we can easily say wherever there is a city or wherever there is an ancient civilization there would have been ample natural resources at that particular place which would have sustained that civilization very interesting if if i can uh, maybe take you on a little bit of a tangent here with a query that's coming to my mind based on what you're saying um the ancient egyptian civilization we know egypt as a land of deserts today so yet that civilization thrived for many many centuries yes so how did that happen if you're if you're saying that that you know we needed forests and we need natural resources yeah you see compared to the lifetime of a forest or a tree human lifetime is very small it's a small fraction so let's say the oldest tree standing in the world today it's around 4000 years old oh wow where is that that's somewhere in africa wow okay so and let's say us us we have around 2500 year old uh, sequoia trees so you can easily say that one lifetime of a tree is equal to maybe 25 to 40 generations of humans right and if you look at the knowledge that travels from one generation to the other maybe we would know our great grandfather's name or maybe one or two generations above <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So the human uh, knowledge transformation has not happened in a way that we can literally find out how the landscape used to look like before we started to get into agriculture or clear cut the land because of uh, maybe industrialization. 
However, if you look at the history or the mythology or the old paintings or epics from any particular geography, you will be able to realize that every such place used to have thriving natural world around them. Sure. Let's take an example of Jordan, which is also a deserted country. Right. And five years ago, we started working with uh, a partner company in uh, Jordan. And uh, they came here, we trained them how to make a forest. And then they went back, started to make this forest. And before making of a forest, you have to do a survey. And during those surveys, they realized that though Jordan is so deserted, but here and there in small specks, they had such evergreen trees or such lush greenery that it can be easily assumed that probably the entire landscape would have been like this and now these are the small pockets uh, which were left out of of uh, the eradication that would have happened and how they got it confirmed is that they went to some old temples during these surveys and though the temple was in middle of a desert but inside the temples if you look at the paintings on the walls very dilapidated paintings but you can see lions you can see green trees you can see shrubs herbs such lush natural world on those paintings that it feels like maybe this used to be here and now that the forest has gone, the civilization has also gone and that's the reason the temple is in such a deteriorated stage. What we can assume or kind of even conclude is that probably because the natural ecosystem was disturbed to an extent that it ceased to exist, this temple is in such a deteriorated stage because the civilization that used to use this temple has moved away to maybe some other greener plane. Interesting. Very interesting. And and these are the places where you can easily bring back a forest. So you can imagine, it takes maybe a day to cut down a tree and remove all its traces and, and convert a lush green patch of land into a barren patch of land. Right. But from that day onwards, the land is always going to be considered barren in human terms. However, it has the potential to bring back a forest all by itself if it is left undisturbed, uh, deprive it from human intervention, leave it for 300 years, it will convert itself into a forest. I like how you said deprive it from human intervention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what are the kind of struggles you have to go through to a forest a place like uh, a desert area like Rajasthan uh, and uh, or even in Jordan? What are the challenges you face and how did you go about you know, overcoming that. Yeah, so the biggest challenge we or anybody who wants to make an authentic forest faces today is the supply of these native seedlings. If you want to make an authentic forest, first is that you have to find out the names of these species that would have grown at that particular patch of land a few hundred years ago. And how do you do that? So sometimes if you're lucky, like in case of Mumbai, we would go to Sanjay Gandhi National Park, conduct a survey, make a list of species and assume that rest of the Mumbai would have had the same mix of trees. Right. And using those species, we would make a forest. But then we hit the second challenge, which is where do we get the seedlings of these native tree species because nobody is buying them and no nursery would be having them in stock. Right. So we have to go to the forest again and again, season after season, collect the seeds from the trees of these native trees, identify the mother trees, collect the seeds, germinate seedlings, and then maybe in second or third year, we will be able to plant our first patch of forest. So the biggest challenge is this three to four years of 
timeline which goes into planting your first forest at a new geography the pilot project now the problem is that the world around us doesn't work like that today if some country wants to have their pilot project they would want to get it done tomorrow but nature doesn't work like that and whatever we do we cannot expedite this process because we have to work with the nature rather than against it to make an authentic forest true that makes a lot of sense and is this is actually fascinating you know information you're sharing with us what did you mean when you said mother tree that's something that really caught my attention yes and uh, this is also one of the most important conservation topics actually in the whole world there are going to be few trees in every species which would be having a different genetic code compared to the other trees of the same species like to give you an example we are all human beings homo sapiens right. but we might look a little different a kashmiri might look different from a kerala compared to somebody from arunachal will have different features from somebody who's from gujarat right. so every area it's it's called genetic considerations in ecological restoration has some uh, pool of genes which are very much local to that particular area a mango tree from maharashtra would be different from a mango tree in up and we have seen that oh, wow. okay so we can't take maharashtrian that uh, totapuri mango and try to plant it in uh, some other part of the world why because they won't be native there and because they are not native they are going to either perish or they will need extremely uh, high maintenance for them to survive and in worst case they could be invasive killing the native diversity of that particular place okay so these mother trees are the places from where we can collect the seeds of those species which are most suitable to that particular area we can't have one size fits all formula for an entire country makes sense there is a prevalent theory that agriculture especially modern practices of agriculture can actually lead to ultimately uh, decreasing the uh, soil the, the soil's ability to to germinate new seeds you are right yes is there a way for farmers who are practicing agriculture to do it in a more sustainable manner yes and so it's very simple the most important thing in the soil is life in the soil the microbes now people say if the soil is black color you can grow cotton in it if the soil is red you can grow something else in it or you have to have nitrogen potassium and few other minerals in the soil but beyond that the relevance is very little when it comes to the natural uh, ecosystem okay the most important support any plant any seed needs to grow in soil is the microbes and these microbes are most of the times invisible microscopic but there are centipedes millipedes earthworms uh insects fungi thousands of types of fungi in one spoon full of soil from a healthy natural forest you will find around 40000 species of microbes so i can't even tell you that which is the important microbe because there are 40000 of them and the soil is so diverse that if you take a spoonful of soil from punjab and also one spoonful of soil from let's say arunachal pradesh put it under a microscope you will see two extremely different types of ecosystems of biodiversity and by using chemical fertilizers or pesticide anything which has a cide side at the end of it is a poison so the biggest and the easiest fix that we can do right now is number one to remove the cid no poisoning of our soils anymore and second is how to bring back the lost microbial life in the soil because the moment soil starts to breathe again it's going to give you the healthiest 
most nutritious fruits food and also without any effort right now the kind of money and energy we spend to produce 1 kilo of rice or 1 kilo of vegetable uh is 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 comparatively too high if you compare it with how much you can harvest from a tree that is growing independently without any maintenance in a forest you talked about the systems of the trees communicating with each other is is it true that that forests are actually uh, our oldest networks yes there is a book called the hidden life of trees by a german forester called peter wolleben w o h l l e b and uh what he had recently started writing about like recently means some 15 years ago the discovery he made was that trees are able to communicate with each other and exchange nutrition through something what he called wood wide web and these networks are so widespread that the largest living organism in the world is actually a fungal network which can be considered as one single organism. Oh wow. I I don't remember the exact figure but it is somewhere like 500 square kilometers of I mean extremely astronomical uh, numbers. So you can imagine if that's the kind of spread just one species of fungi has, what kind of complex network we would have under our feet going through this earth where uh, trees are communicating and trees being the ancient beings much more ancient than humans with even longer life spans their technology is definitely going to be extremely more complex than than uh, human <laughs> beings yeah right you know shubhendu you you're blowing my mind away with with all these revelations i can see why you got fascinated by this subject now coming back to you know your life and how it how this entire journey has been interacting with nature has been an inspiration to you One of the things that definitely has to come up is with your job like a, a secure job you know to start your own business that's quite a gamble what gave you the confidence to take this gamble <laughs> I don't know it was very uh uh difficult to be honest for me to take that decision to go up to my boss and say you know I want to quit and he would ask me for what and I would say <laughs> to plant trees so it took me a lot of time to articulate the whole uh concept did you have to convince yourself or it was like a sure shot somehow i i don't remember what were the exact thoughts going through my mind but when i met dr miyawaki for the first time i very sharply remember in that half an hour probably the seed of this idea was already sown because in spite of whatever time i took uh every day probably i would think about making a forest since the day i saw that presentation it would have sounded more fascinating if i would say okay one day i woke up and said okay bahut ho gaya and today i yeah but it took me at least a good good two years time to uh reach that level of confidence and and i did a lot of work in those two years a lot of reading uh i made the website of my company even before i i left my job i made the corporate presentation i i did almost all the homework in my last 6 months of staying at toyota what i'm really getting from what you're saying is that this this decision was just like growing a tree a process over a period of time and uh, and not something that sprouts instantaneously yes and it should always be like that right Shubhendu what was perhaps one of your biggest personal challenges when you founded a forest how did you overcome that my biggest personal challenge was to fit a forest as an enterprise which would do business but at the same time 
the mission was to bring back our lost forest by creating them so i i had to go exactly opposite of what conventional business wisdom would say like to give you an example the mission of the company was we are on a mission to bring back our lost forest we do it by creating them now if somebody else copies our methodology and makes a forest on their own what should we do now the conventional wisdom would say okay you write the methodology in a way that you can patent it you find something some material that can be exclusive to your methodology get it patented get it copyrighted what we did was exactly opposite we went open source and we said okay if somebody else is also using our methodology making their own forest they are also taking us one step closer to the mission because the mission is to bring back the entire lost forest and that was something which no investor or no uh, conventional uh, business person would have uh, gone ahead right. right however that worked in our favor so much that people stopped negotiating with us on prices when somebody would negotiate on price we would say either you pay us what we are asking or take away the methodology for free and do it for yourself it's the same sop that we would use we are ready to give it away to you for wow. free and and that was something which put us in a very solid uh financial position and we are so stable now that we have 2 years payroll worth of the money saved in a bank account so that even if we don't do any business for next few months still we can run the payroll then this gives kind of mental peace that makes you think beyond just day to day business you know it makes you think more philosophically what is right and what is wrong and take a nice right moral uh, decision instead of a uh, decision being inspired by the bottom line i think that's very very fascinating Um and I must also bring up the fact that you recently became a father. Thank you so much. But there is a, a quote by Dr. Miyawaki and I believe this is actually from his book and it says that tree planting is to plant tomorrow, to plant life and to plant trees in your heart. Yeah. Speaking of planting a tomorrow, what world would you want envision that your daughter grows up in and how can we today, the people of today go about making that vision a reality? Wow. and especially looking at these times uh, when we are locked up in our own houses uh, i feel and i i think about it a lot because uh, somewhere i feel that we are living in an age where most of our perceptions are decided by the media by the mass media uh, it could be a podcast like the podcast that we are doing or it could be the the kind of uh, schooling that is also coming through media uh, to our kids today right. i must say that if it's a podcast i hope our podcast is having a positive influence <laughs> definitely positive yeah so i i i'm talking I, i am talking about perspective so their perception is being built up as as we are speaking through maybe online classes or uh, through watching youtube or uh, uh looking at the news channels i mean most of the perceptions are built up through some media while people are not being able to see things from their own eyes or touch and feel things using their own hands or even going to the places and experiencing it this this kind of world probably does not create the kind of right perception because then it will be somebody else's perception being told somebody else's truth being told to our kids and i think that will make them less confident because they feel that unless somebody tells us what is the truth we can we will never get to know the truth so we need to change that i think keeping aside the fear of 
anything that is stopping you from following your natural instinct i think we have to let the joy of doing things take over the fear of not doing things so i would let my kid go out and experience things for herself i think that's something you can definitely achieve given the forest in your own backyard yes that's that's true the first hornbill that i saw was in the forest that i planted and and there are many species of birds that i have seen now like that was the first hornbill but so many types of birds i have seen which no other urban kid would have seen uh because they don't have those species of trees growing around them on which only these birds will come and sit so by changing your environment you you change your perspective right and uh, by changing your perspective you change your journey you change the end result of one's life right right and i think that's a fantastic note to end our conversation on as well so shubhendu thank you so much for your time and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and it was a very illuminating conversation thank you so much akshay thanks a lot everyone it was uh, really great talking to you akshay